Hi, I'm Shalushi Baxi Ritchie. And I'm Kosha Baxi Karstens. We are sisters and best friends who grew up in the middle of Illinois, two little brown girls in a heartland farming community. We were really loved. We had a lot of friends, but we never felt like we fully fit in. We started to realize that there's probably a lot of other people who felt similarly othered. And that realization was a seed for this podcast. Then during the 2020 election, we watched now Vice President Harris reclaim her power and story from Mike Pence, and we got inspired. We want to hear, share, and amplify the voices of all Americans who have felt othered. We want to give everyone a platform to reclaim their power and their place by standing up and saying, I am speaking. So today, I am thrilled that we actually got Haz Slayman or Hassan Slayman on our podcast. Right. I was He's so definitely our, our biggest profile guest we've spoken to. Um, and one of our most open and forthcoming. I mean, there is so much that a, we could have kept talking about and secondly, there's so much that he said, even in the time that we had together, so great to interview, going to be very tough to edit. It's going to be hard to edit because I'm not going to want to cut anything out. I think a little bit of background on Haz is um, I found him through the show Little America. And I know I posted it on our social media account Um if for I am speaking, if you haven't seen Little America, it is on Apple TV Plus. It is an anthology series that follows several different stories of immigrants. Um, and he is in the last episode of the first season. And when I tell you that that show, that episode stuck with me for days and changed how I thought about things, it truly did. Um, and so I had, I reached out to him just to tell him I was a fan and it was lovely and he responded. And then he said that he'd be on the podcast. Haz is an openly gay Muslim Arab. He came from Lebanon when he was 21 and the life he has led and how he came out to the world, how he came out to his mom um, is truly fascinating and does show such strength of character um, that, you know, I'm so glad that he shared his story with us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think uh, this season, we're making a point of asking all of our guests, you know, what advice would you have for someone in your situation? Um, and for Haas, you know, it's not only that he is gay, it is that he is also Muslim. So he has a religious constraint on him and he is Arab. He has a cultural constraint on him. There are so many different constraints. What advice would he give to people who, whether, you know, maybe they're not Muslim or maybe, you know, maybe they're not from an Arab country or a country where homosexuality is punishable by death, but we all have certain constraints on us. And what is, what is the advice he would give to someone in that kind of situation? And his advice is so beautiful. I, again, we always say we don't want to give it away. We want you to listen. But his, his advice is really beautiful. It is definitely worth the listen. Uh, he is a lovely man. He is a friendly, lovely man. 
And uh, one very exciting thing is he's going to be in the new um, Marvel movie Eternals as as Fantos's husband. So it is the first married queer couple in all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the MCU, and he is uh, the husband of Fantos. And I think that the more we see those kinds of stories in mainstream pop culture, the more they become accepted in mainstream culture yeah. in general. And so we're so excited. We got him now. He's, he's, he's going to be big, you know, and he's, he's already big and he's, he's larger than life. And I, I loved it. I really did. So my friends and our listeners, all of you, please enjoy. Haas Slayman is speaking. He is speaking. Goddess. Yeah. So oh hell yeah. yeah! Yeah, I love that. Okay. Yeah, that's and even better. I love takes, it even more. She takes it very seriously. The I meaning do. of her name. I, I mean, <laughs> why wouldn't you? Look, I mean, you're living living up to the name too, right? <laughs> From the looks of, of it, you look like a goddess. So I'm assuming oh, that's kind of it's you. fitting perfectly. I mean, how about your parents giving you that name? How cool is that? Uh, it's conceptually cool. It's logistically difficult. Because <laughs> they gave it to her when we were here. We were all born here. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, well, you have to be a goddess to pull off a name like that here. That's for sure. You know what? That's a really good point. And I wish yeah. that you had not brought it up because now I have to <laughs> deal with this <laughs> asshole. <laughs> no, because you're two goddesses. Well, my name means treasure. So it's not like it's, <laughs> it's much better. Yeah, but like we have, we have four, there are four siblings and all, and all of our names are really different. Mine is the, by far the easiest, but it's so like- So you are I sisters? Mean, you are sisters? We are sisters, yeah. yes. Oh, wow, oh, yeah. that's awesome. That's yeah, cool. So we are sisters and then we have a little sister and a little brother. And nice. um, it, it's like trying to get our names. It's, it has been like, you know, people look and you know, with Hassan, like, you see yeah. that name like that and you're like, I've never seen these letters before. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's really all, it's so phonetic. Yeah. I mean, I love it all though. I love it. I love the differences. I celebrate that. I love, you know, I love the fact that you guys are from originally from India and, you know, I'm originally from Lebanon. So uh, yeah, like America is the land of immigrants. I don't know why people forget that. You know, I don't know why people, a lot of people tend to forget yeah. that. <laughs> A lot, and yeah. recently it feels like, I mean, it's like our former president, right? Like we don't, I, exactly. he, yeah. he's like the Voldemort, like he who must not be named. <laughs> unfortunately, there, he's still around, unfortunately, yeah. you know, it's like, what is going on, you know? But so it's like, you know, in 2021, we're talking about people of darker skin, of color. Remember, we're all immigrants, right? But it wasn't but, more than a hundred years ago that the Irish, and the Italians were the immigrants. Right, great point. And people forget that. They were not considered white. Like what, yeah. uh, yeah. Tennessee Coates talks about like, you know, who's white now? And right. it's it's really just who's like in the hegemony, right? Yeah. Well, you look at movies like Far and Away, if you remember that movie with Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise and about these Irish immigrants trying coming to the States and like claiming a stake on the land because they were poor Irish people and right. didn't have any money. And even, you know, movies that are like- what was Gangs of New York. Blood? 
the gangs of New York, right? Yeah. Gangs yeah. of New York, that's the one I was thinking of, right? About yeah. like Italians like boxing, bare fist boxing for money because if you yeah. were a really great boxer, that's how you made your way up the ladder. Like, otherwise you were stuck working in slaughterhouses and stuff. Wow. This is going to be a fun conversation. I can already tell. I'm just, well, I'm writing my first pilot. I'm writing my first half hour comedy. And Shailisha and, and so- I are um, available, actually. <laughs> are you writing it about two sisters who are starting a podcast about other Americans? Um, I, if you want to be in my half hour comedy, <laughs> I'm going to have to stretch your <laughs> My range. Bit. Yeah, it's gonna, we're gonna go into the porn world, unfortunately. Wait, is this the erotic, the, the erotic thriller that I just, no, I just- Oh, no, no, oh, oh, that, good, good eye though, good eye, because that was my reaction when I saw it on Variety. I was like, I didn't realize it was gonna be categorized as an erotic thriller. So, and then I immediately reached to one of the producers, I was like, no frontal nudity, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, but okay, no, I'm still Lebanese-American. My parents are still like... <laughs> I mean, like, I still, I, I do worry about my mom, honestly, like, with certain things that I do. Uh, she's on my mom. I'm like, oh, can I make my mom watch this? Is my mom going to complain? Oh, another gay role. I'm like, mom, they paid me 75 grand. Oh, that's great. Wonderful. Oh, you got another gay role. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know how like moms from certain cultures, oh, yeah, yeah. either they want you to be a doctor or a lawyer, oh, or no, yeah. if you're not that, are you making money? Are you bringing in the cash? That's kind of like, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, believe it or not, sometimes people like stop me like, hey, you're this actor from like, I'm like, how did you, I was wearing a cap and a glasses, oh, like yeah. your voice. Your voice, yeah. I'm like, oh shit, wow. It is distinct, it is. It is just, it sounds like I smoke cigarettes all day, which I don't. Do you have that naturally to... like gravelly, yep. sultry, velvet voice very, without very... having the lung cancer? Yes, uh, I mean, it runs <laughs> in the family. Uh, you know, my dad was like that before he died. My brothers are like that. It's, uh... but my dad used to smoke and drink. My both brothers also smoked. I'm the only one who doesn't really smoke, but I still have that raspy voice. I love that you guys are siblings. That's awesome. How <laughs> did you guys ever fight a lot because of that? Or when we were Not, younger? Oh yeah. So, so we're much. we're four years apart, and a twelve-year-old doesn't want to hang out with an eight-year-old. She's the oldest, <laughs> and it was really you know that's really interesting that you say that you bring that up um, because with the ethnicity it was very much like okay shaylisha you could do whatever you want um if kosha comes with you oh oh right 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 because they they want yeah so as the oldest they feel like they can trust you more yeah oh and it was so it was very and the old that oldest you know moniker was heavily placed on her well i mean i get it because uh, as an arab we're similar Oh yeah, we're very some like respecting your elders, uh, in terms of your siblings, even as friends. If you have a friend that's older than you, like you should have more respect for that person because he's old. That person's older. I actually like it in a way. I don't hate it all the way. I think there's something about it that is really, uh, to me, sweet. Somehow, it kind of sort of like 
whether you like it or not, you have to respect those who have been around before you yeah. and maybe have experienced life more than you have. There's, there is truth to that. Not to say that, yes. oh, the person who's older than you is wiser than you. That's for sure not the truth. But and I think that's, that's the challenge is that right. it's one thing to be respectful. It's one thing. And the other thing where the culture demands obedience yeah. and respect because of age. Right. Um, and you know, that doesn't make, like, not everyone who's in there older than you is res worth respecting. Some people are really cruel and mean and small-minded and bigoted, yeah. Like Trump oh, well, would be an yeah. example of like, I would not have any respect for that motherfucker. I'm sorry, like I didn't- No, no, you can swear all you want to here. Fortunately for you ladies, I'm an open book, so- This is gonna be fun. This is gonna be fun. So are we. I mean, that gets me in trouble sometimes, but oh well. You know what? It's good trouble. Yeah. That's what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna go back to John Lewis. That's good fucking trouble. Like that we yeah. need people to get in that kind of trouble. I agree. I think if more people are more honest, that's a good kind of trouble. Yeah. Like the truth hurts, yeah. but I'd rather be honest or know the truth than not, even if it hurts. Or even if it's awkward or politically incorrect or blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm so over just the bullshit and playing a game. Trump has been doing that so well. I mean, politics does that, but then Trump took it to a whole other level to the point that now people believe more the lies than the truth. Mm -hmm. The truth is now like pushed aside and thrown to the gutter, yeah. Well, people treat factual truth as if it's just another opinion. That's interesting, that, right? I don't have to believe it just because it's actually true. It's just your opinion because it makes it convenient for an agenda oh, yeah. maybe that you have oh, right yeah. absolutely I think you are trying to perpetuate something that you or you're trying to survive and protect yourself like the republicans are right yeah because they know that they're losing and we know that yeah. white people are becoming now the minority you know yeah, she, she is, you know she's been working in nonprofit for a long time and uh, I married, we both married American guys. And so we have, mm. and they're both Ooh. like from the Midwest. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, you know what? Uh, it's funny because it, like just talking about, you know, culture and stuff. And we've talked about this on the podcast a little bit, but Shayla, she was older when she, and I put that in quotes because she was 28 when she got married. But according to our parents, you know, they were, they were panicking that like she would never get married. So when she brought home her, her soon to be husband and he was like a <laughs> yeah, good guy mm -hmm. and he was white, it was like, didn't matter that he was oh, white. Yes. Oh, oh yes. yeah. That should be, that is a show. You're talking about a show. That would be a good show. Okay. All right. That like as a comedy, that would be actually great. That That's like so timely. And, and it's a different take on that story, right? Because, you know, then you're dealing with, oh, it's now the age is the problem all of a sudden. Before it's like, oh, he has to be from the village, from your village. But then slowly, like, he has to be from your country. Uh, he has to be from your ethnicity. He has to be from your religion. Okay, he's a man. <laughs> Who's willing to marry you? And he's a decent person. That's it, done. <laughs> Good enough. Well, the, the very interesting thing I would say about when I got married is they were really worried, like, oh, how, you know, will we have anything in common, this and that. And my oh. in-laws are lovely people. But yeah. the most critical thing, so when I got married, when Kosha got married too, when the both of us got married, my mom was actually doing, uh, a, my mom was running a wedding planning business that focused oh. on 
South Asian weddings. And oh shoot. Well, and my my in-laws are uh basically upper, you know, upper Midwestern white people. Okay. They let my mom do anything and everything oh. she wanted. Okay, your mom, your mom sounds like a hoot, number one. In her ways. Is she controlling your in mom? her own ways? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she mm-hmm. does it very. Um, she will never. She will never say, "I need these things," mm. but she does a ton for other people, mm. kind of hoping for them to. It's very, it's very typical, you know, Middle Eastern, South Asian, Asian, right. Asian moms, which is, I do all this stuff for everyone. I never well, ask. Sounds like anything. my mom. Yeah, right. it's a, it's the same person. Yeah, no, really. I mean, it sounds like you're describing my mom. And it's like, and, and she really comes across like the most loving woman on planet Earth. But oh Lord, if you really get to really know. Yeah, yeah, so right, right, right. But I mean, I mean, I'm sure your mom is very loving. You know, I'm sure your mom is very loving. That she very know? much is. She is very loving. She is very giving. Um, she does do a lot for, for other people. And yeah. you know what I say is like often to a fault where she, yeah. she then put her she puts her and this is very typical of, yeah. of that generation and of the culture mm-hmm. she puts herself last every time and wants other people to put her earlier right but, because she's putting herself last you're right yeah exactly right and it's like almost like it's it's this is the way that they feel like they can give love to them mm-hmm. it's like this is love. But yeah. it's really an older generation. My mom is the same. She's very selfless, but at, at her expense. Like she suffers from it. It's all a facade. It's okay. <laughs> I look, I'm Arab, so family is everything. I do know what facade means when it comes to family and being an Arab. Oh yes. Well, and that's like that's that's a good circle back here. Is one of the reasons, you know, I I'm gonna say like I saw Little America, and. I, that episode that you're in, which I'm not going to give it any, any of it away because it, it really is something you have to watch. But, um, that episode that you're in stayed with me for days. Well, I'm, first of all, I'm glad that you saw it. Um, and it's one of my favorite things that I've ever been part of. Um, and it's based on a true story. I don't know if you knew that. Like, so the guy that I put, they all are. And then the guy that portrayed is alive and he's in Boise, like in the story. And I should go find him. Well, and the reason I say that is because my husband took a job with a headquarters are in Boise. But he's there like once every two months. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, you should definitely. I mean, I can I can link you up if you if you That'd want. That'd be fantastic. I yeah, I'll it. connect you. He would love it. And you guys. Would... Is that his real name, Rafiq? No, no. His real name is Shabby. So they changed his name to protect him, which I get. Yes, that makes sense. But he, they flew him to LA for the premiere of the show. And in the premiere, they only screened two episodes, uh, the cowboy episode and my episode. And okay. so he saw himself on the big screen. And then afterwards, he came up to me. And I, I of course, I was like, oh, God, like he is the most important audience out of anyone. And so he was like, he was in tears. He was telling me, thank you. Like, how did, were you able to capture every moment the way I remember experiencing it? It was exact. I'm like, well, first of all, that is the ultimate award, right? Yeah, or right. 
to, to get to hear it from someone like that. I just feel like I wish the show was even more visible. You know, it's one of those shows where it's a brilliant show. It was really well received. The reviews were great. Um, but still, because it's a show that had a lot of substance and it was really showing a truth about this country that maybe a lot of Americans forgot about or don't want to be reminded of. Correct, right. Um, I feel like that was maybe going a little bit against it. And, you know, because of the pandemic, a lot of people wanted to watch things to make them yeah. escape. And you know. I was going to say, I mean, it's a, in the middle of something that's very hard then watching something that's even hard in the and and with all the the Black Lives Matters protests right. and anti-Asian right. hate protests and all of these things where it's like it just feels like uh, you know there are days when I'm like I cannot look at one more right. negative news story much less watch stories about people who are you know in the states and like generally everything works out well but the journey isn't always like. Hey, here's well, a lollipop I mean, and some kittens. Like right. it's so difficult. Well, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys cried, but like a lot of people cry watching that episode. Right? I, I didn't cry, but I, I felt it in my gut, and then, um, I like for days, for days, and then that's when I just reached out to you, and I was like, hey, I just wanted to tell you that I'm still thinking about that performance. Uh, and I posted something on Adam Ali's Instagram too. And I was like, I don't know what you guys reached into your souls to bring out for that episode, but it was, and I'm, I'm not giving anything away, but when you're on the bikes, I, mm. and you were, I could not, I was like, I felt the freedom that you, do you want to, do you want a funny story regarding yeah. that moment? So it was, I believe it was the first day or second day of filming and we only shot this in eight days which was really a lot because I was in literally in every scene and the second day we're shooting the bicycle scenes and Adam of course like he was like oh I'm right-handed can you go to the other side so I can be able to like like let go of my hands and I'm looking at this I'm like okay and I'm thinking because I'm such a nice guy I'm like sure yeah I'll do it even though I'm also right-handed. <laughs> so then I'm in a position where I'm like, okay, I think I'm gonna fall, but don't fall. And then the car in front of us with the camera stopped very abruptly. Didn't give me a chance. I rammed into them, fell hard on my hand. Basically, I thought I broke it. And we couldn't like, basically it ha they had to have it wrapped up until I had it x-rayed and whatnot. And then the doctor got an x-rayed and he said, we're not sure yet. You need to get more tests. So during this whole time, we thought, okay, let's treat it like it was broken. So the scene, one of the scenes where in, in Jordan, I had literally my hand was wrapped, but you don't see it because we cheated it. Like the director said, if we uh, shoot from this side and then you're just taking it off, sure. he'll help you take off your shirt. It was a nightmare. It was a and nightmare a, for me. That's a scene that you can't wear like. Yeah, I'm mean, about, about to have sex because <laughs> I'm mean, about to have sex and then so basically the other actor had to help me. He literally helped me take off my shirt because I wouldn't be able to do it with the other hand. It, did, it ended up working, but like going back to, first of all, I appreciate the fact that you reached out because of it. It's really special to me, this episode and this show and this character. Um, I mean, the timing is, was magical for me in my career. 
uh, after I came out in 2017, I believe, on social media and got a lot of attention. Well, I, you said some racy things, like like racy things. You called yourself a bottom. Well, that was not all of it. But Before yes. we get into all of this, all I of want it. this is a really good segue into actually having the conversation that that hopefully will set it all up. Because I don't want it to like break up and like start with like, oh, I'm a bottom and then go back like, all right, so tell me your story. What's your name again? And where are you from? Like, oh, I didn't do the intro. Oh yeah, should, should I do the intro? Hey, I'm Haas Slayman and I'm speaking. Wonderful, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for being here. Oh, my pleasure, thank you for having me. I think you guys are awesome. You are the, the biggest profile guest we've had on. Our first season was really us talking to our friends, which was amazing, because um, we did learn so much about them. Thank you so much. And that makes me very proud of you guys because of what you guys are doing is really great and is important. And it's bringing visibility to certain things that this country, specifically the world, period, but this country, people of this country should be aware of and should be hearing about, really, specifically coming from ladies like yourself, from your background, given your background. So it's really, I consider what you guys are doing an act of love. Well, thank you. We hope so. We hope it's received that way. Yeah, that's really where we're coming at it. Like that, you know, we talked in one of the episodes from the last season that um, everyone is an activist in a different way. And there's so many opportunities and, and needs for different types of activism. And right. this is really what one of our acts of activism is, is right. listen, like we've heard the white guy story time and time again, and we need you know, and Shayla and I grew up in a tiny little town in central Illinois, uh, mm. where like our neighbors were cornfields and we were really othered. I mean, it was yeah. it, it, not, it's not always this blatant, you know, go back to where you came from, but it's like, um, like we were talking about names that, oh, well, can I just call you like Mario Brothers was a big deal when I was a kid. So it's like, can I just call you Yoshi? Because I'll never get your name right. And it kind yeah. of looks like that. It's like, right. well, I'd rather have someone say like, can you pronounce your name for me a couple of times so I, right. I make sure I don't yeah. get it wrong, you know? Right, like maybe be more thoughtful about it. But I think, you know, I think the, the part of it is, uh, oh, when we say go back to your country or whatnot, I think maybe part of it has to do with uh, the immigrants that move here and don't learn English and don't want to, be a part of the, com the this community here. Maybe that's a part of it too. I don't know. But honestly, like you said, I think it's not just one thing. It's a lot yeah. of things. It's not black and white. It's a lot of it is in the gray. Absolutely. And, um, and look, I when I first moved from Lebanon, I moved to Michigan, Dearborn, Michigan. So not far from where you guys grew up. No, no. And there's, that's where you would go, actually. There's a huge um, Arab American community there. We both went to school in Michigan at various places. So oh, and I, I believe it's the big and I will I will fact check this, but it has the biggest Lebanese uh, population outside of Lebanon, uh, like outside of Beirut. Per like per like per capita. Area. Yeah, like per, per capita. area. Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah, right, absolutely. And so and they have the sense. best Lebanese restaurants in Dearborn. Uh, really, of course. Far. Now we're gonna have to go there and eat. Sure. I mean, the food there is amazing. How, and and I, I still have an aunt there and her family, my her kids and her husband and my ex-wife. Uh, yes, I was married and she is my soulmate. And she is there now with her kids and she's now married, happily married. So the, like it always feels like 
there's a part of me there, you know. I'm sure like you like you guys are still in 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 uh, the same place or you moved. We've moved around a little bit. We're not in the tiny town anymore. Okay, um, okay. Yeah, so we moved back when I was in like eighth grade. We moved to the suburbs of Chicago. Then we went to schools and stuff. Uh, and now we actually live like 10 minutes away from each other. Now. Still outside Chicago. I was okay. in California for almost 20 years in the Bay Area. So oh, wow. I moved back a couple of years ago. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Let's start with the fact that you just mentioned that you have an ex-wife. Okay. And I think that might be an interesting jumping off point to talk about your journey uh, to understand your sexuality, to understand who you are and, and to move forward. And I'm, you know, I've seen stories about you being activists and being very vocal about who you are. So talk, can you talk me through up until that point, sort of, you don't have to go into deep detail about, you know, your childhood and moving to the right. States, although however much you want to share with us, it's great. But then sort of that process from being like, oh, you're of marriageable age, which is for our listeners who don't know that about certain cultures, there's a thing of marriageable age, which means you hit a certain age and then your parents and your aunts and your uncles and everyone in your community is like, time to get this person married off. Right. <laughs> um, and they're, they're actively looking for matches for you. Right. And I, don't, I don't know how it is in Lebanon, but I know in India, I mean, um, being of a certain sexual orientation has nothing to do with the fact that you yeah. could still get married and have kids, which is supposed yeah. to be what you do. So we do right. know someone, we're related to someone who is out and proud and married here in the States. But when they moved here, um, there was a lot of like, well, America made him gay, right? Because he wasn't presenting that right. in India. But in India, you were still looking for matches for him. That was the expectation. Right, and, right, right. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's another aspect if you wanted to talk about that, sort of what was it, what do you think it would have been like in Lebanon versus being in the States and being able to have the freedom to really come out? So I think let's start there by talking about sort of your marriage ability and then getting married and then your process of realizing that you didn't want to be married to a woman. I cannot tell you what would it be like if I stayed in Lebanon because I had no interest in staying in Lebanon. I just was like, I was ready to leave. I was like, I'm out. And I just couldn't wait to get out of there because I couldn't even see hope for myself there. Keep in mind, I'm 44 and I grew up in Lebanon in the 80s. To answer also earlier, you were talking about like the whole like cultural thing. Yeah, of course my family was you know, nagging at me, when you're gonna get married? When are you gonna get married? See, the thing is, when I first met my ex-wife, we didn't like, okay, let me start that way. I moved to Michigan in August of 1997. Two weeks after I like landed in, in Dearborn, Michigan, Detroit, Michigan, two weeks after I landed, I met my ex-wife. And that was it. The rest is history, meaning, I fell in love with her. She fell in love with me. We became like just not only best friends, but like the perfect sort of match between her. She, she's my soulmate. Till now, I mean, once a soulmate, always a soulmate. There was one piece that was missing in the equation, which is the fact that I'm gay. Now, going back to that, I actually, when I moved to Michigan, I, I, was, I was really struggling with that. Um, I carried my prison with me from Lebanon, unfortunately. That happens as a human being. As human beings, we tend to do that. Even if you're from your childhood, even if you didn't move to a different country, you would carry your 
you know, your challenges or crutches from your childhood kind of a thing. Your baggage. So I did yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, baggage. And, and, and basically perpetuate what I've been exposed to as a child. Carried it on to myself because it almost felt like good. It almost felt like, oh, I'm doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. So from that came, oh, but she's my soulmate. And I love her. And even though I'm, I'm gay, so what? Like, maybe she'll turn me straight. So then maybe, slowly- Maybe it will be enough, right? Maybe, maybe the love between us will be enough that for this one person, right? I, will, I, I can find that in myself. Halfway through our relationship, we dated for three years before we got married. So during those three years, maybe a year and a half into it, I told her I was bisexual. It was my way of easing into it Mm -hmm. slowly because I didn't like, I honestly eased into it that way because I was still hopeful. Maybe I will actually finally not need to be with a man being that Mm -hmm. I'm with my soulmate. And Uh, by calling yourself bisexual, what you're saying is like, I I am attracted to men, but I'm choosing Mm -hmm. this part of me. Right. You're, yeah. you're not denying that part of that, that identity of yours or the orientation, but you're yeah. saying like, I'm going this way on purpose. Oh yeah. I mean, it was intentional. I really, really generally was had the intention that I could change because I, I saw that there's not just love, the love that I have for her is so beautiful and pure. It is unconditional love. So when that happened, I was like, Oh, well, if that does not, help me become straight then nothing will sure and ta-da then nothing will nothing did (laughs) nothing (laughs) because it was like it took that for me to finally get it and then um three years afterwards i told her that i was gay and then she came back to me two weeks after i told her that i was gay she said let's get married i'm like i just told you i'm gay and so it became this thing where it became like we're saving each other kind of a thing Mm. where I would like take her out of her sort of prison and she would take me out of my prison and we can be both free because with her family and she's Muslim she couldn't also be free to do what she wanted to do so we kind of like an arrangement but between me and her so no one no one else knew this is this is this this is really similar to people who get married because one person's like "I, I need a green card and the other person's like I, I need to get married for work reasons. Yeah, or like a beard. Right. Like she could have been a beard, yeah. yes. right? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right. Perfect. And you for her, right? Like it, it seemed right. like you both, right. You came out to her um, yeah. as, a, as a gay man before <laughs> you got married. Yeah, that's a twist in the story. I would never like betray her in that way. That's, so that's, that's so awesome. That's an awesome part of this story is that like it was a very intentional, mindful, decision to get married I, I really I think it's the reason why she came back to me two weeks later and said let's get married because she really like it, it, it kind of almost solidified the love even more like it really made our connection even stronger somehow because all of a sudden I'm being so vulnerable with her more than ever it's what you said before about baggage that yeah. we bring with us our what even the stuff that we rebel against and we dislike so deeply about the cultural expectations we still ascribe to them and and in in a way that almost we hate 
and that we're afraid that other people will judge us for. Right, right. I right? mean, she yeah, came out like, to you, but at this, or you came out to her, but at the same time, mm -hmm. because you could might hold her to a different standard. Yeah, I mean, look, the first night that we ever had, we went out on a date. We went out to have dinner, me and her. I'll never forget it. And this is why I fell in love with her. Um, we were just talking, she's like, oh, so what if, she was asking me like straight up, like, so what if um, I'm not a virgin? Would you still marry me? You know, and I was like, and I liked how ballsy she was. She was testing your almost like, uh, your loyalty in that situation or right. she's just trying to like get to know me better yeah though. oh yeah. yeah you know get to but know like, like how am i gonna react to that right so when yeah. she said that interestingly enough being even though i was gay i was always gay um a part of me was like uh maybe i should pretend that it would be a problem so that she does not pick up that i'm gay oh so i said to her like mm, i'm not sure i have to think about it she's like really oh and then what if I get like, what if somebody rapes me or someone rapes a woman and then what? You would not marry her? And then when she said that, I looked at her, I was like, I like this woman, who is she? And, and that's when I started to fall in love with her because she really perked me up and woke me up and sort of unapologetically showed me a truth that I thought was very ballsy and bold of her. And I loved that about her. I loved that because it was a good point that she made. I was like, yeah, you win. I lost the argument. Yeah. And the truth is for some people, the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. If if a woman was is raped, mm -hmm. the answer is yes, I will not marry her. There's a, oh, there's a whole video about that from India, yeah. Right, and that's what's really sad and messed up. And that breaks my heart. And that's mm -hmm. really stupid, honestly, it is dumb. Yeah. I'm no, sorry, okay. you, can, you can articulate however you want. I, I consider it dumb. No, it is dumb. There's there's no other word that we, I mean, we have to go like basic on that. It's dumb. Absolutely, so, because it's like, I mean, like really, and it's also like hypocrisy at its best. Yeah. Really, like, oh, but a man is okay, but a woman, no. Okay, yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. because it's easy. It's not like complicated. It really is easy. Um, you think about the AIDS epidemic in the 70s and 80s yeah. and even the 90s amongst gay men, which is because gay men were so oppressed in the States that they had to be gay in secret, which forced them, ultimately led them, maybe not forced, but led them to do things like have sex without condoms because you could never actually admit it to yourself. So you found right. yourself doing things that would put you at risk. Right, right. Or, or having sex with somebody who might beat the crap out of you afterwards because they themselves aren't comfortable with their sexuality. And so yeah. pushing someone into secrecy is bad all around, right? Well, Either I mean, a result in mental trauma or a result in physical trauma or death. But I know there's a whole slew, isn't there a whole slew of like clubbers who have to like do coke or crap, like they have to do something yeah. like ketamine in order to put themselves in a place where they could have sex because otherwise they're just, they, they, they don't- get out of their head. They need to get out of their head, yeah. What you guys are talking about is really diminishing other people. That's it. It's really, you're diminishing the other person. It is no one's right to diminish another person's life or being or whatever it is, phase, whatever you want to talk about, however you want to shape or like frame it, a person is being diminished by someone. 
from the outside. And so it's up to that person to reject that and rebel against that and make sure that they don't allow that to happen. Mm. That's what it boils down to. Because at the end of the day, the power is in all of us, in each of us. And so I was being diminished in Lebanon. I was like, no, 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 no more. And I left. And then I continued diminishing myself. And it took me a while to realize, oh, I've been perpetuating the same thing, diminishing myself, not thinking I'm enough or worthy or believing in myself or blah, 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 all these things. Or trying not to be who you were, trying to force yourself not to be gay. Absolutely, which, which I was doing for the longest time up until I came out, which not long ago, 2017 is when I came out. So 20 years, you were here for 20 years. I was in my 40s. What? what wasn't I in my- Tulsi, how old were you in 2017? I was- uh, Yeah, you were 40. Uh, so she, I was she 40. was 40. You're 40 years yeah. old, yeah. Yeah, so imagine like, it took me until I got to be 40 to finally say, you know what? Fuck it, excuse my French, but mess effort, like I, I realized, unfortunately, it took me a long time to get to that place. I'm a slow grower, but I'm also very sensitive and I have a lot of empathy and compassion. Funny, my empathy and compassion usually overflows for anyone outside of me, but not towards not me. Not to you. And I think that's actually very, very typical is that it's much easier for us to be kind and compassionate to other people. Oh, wonder what, oh, my, my friend's really struggling with this thing right. or yeah. oh, blah, blah, blah. And in the same circumstances, if we met ourselves, we would be the worst critic oh, yeah. of ourselves, Absolutely. right? I mean, just like one of the things, uh, you know, in sort of like the fat phobia world, body positivity world, is it's like women are, the, are their own worst critics about their bodies. And you would never say to your, friend, your sister, your whoever, your daughter, that looks awful on you. You look like a cow in a sack, right? Like right. nobody right. would ever say that to their friend. And yet the inner monologue that we all have, it perpetuates, like you were saying, the values that diminish certain people. We other ourselves. Right. Absolutely. A absolutely. And also just goes to show that it's very important to be aware you know, to really have awareness and self-awareness and awareness in general about the truth of things and not make them something that they're not, which I think your show does that, by the way. Your show does that. Like it helps people maybe see things clearer. Well, and, and to really, you know, we know that um, what we, when we other people were putting distance and, yeah. and we know research has shown and just in our personal experiences, we know that when you get to know somebody, um, it, even if, you know, a, KKK member actually gets to know a black woman they see beyond those things that create distance and see the humanity and that's that's when you get beyond when you get when you start looking at humans as humans and stop diminishing right. in in those ways that are even just in innate in our in our brain yeah well I mean that, that applies globally to the human race what you're yeah. saying really I mean, we all want the same thing at the end of the day, right? We want, want to be loved and love and have a roof over our head and see our children grow and be happy. Like, it's the same stuff. Maybe different cuisine, different music, different maybe cultural sort of approaches about it. But really, the gist of it, that's all the same. In Islam, you know, being gay, I know, and I, I watched your movie, uh, Breaking uh -huh. Fast, 
But so in the Quran, it doesn't say anything about how being a homosexual is sinful or anything like that. Is that correct? Is it is it is it a cultural issue and not like a, a scriptural issue? Well, I mean, this is the tricky part about scripture. It's, it's up it's up for interpretation. This is the thing. So it's like, who's interpreting people? Humans. It is has it's the same. I mean, it's the same thing as it, it's all part of that same connection between Judaism and Christianity and Islam, which is they're all based on the same set of fundamental the, theological concepts. And you just carry it all forward. And you're absolutely right. The, you know, there's nothing in the Bible that says that homosexuality is clearly wrong. Right. I mean, look, I mean, in the in Breaking Fast, you you know, you mentioned that you saw there's a dinner scene and like my character like actually says that being gay made him a better Muslim. And I thought that was a beautiful thing to say. And I could totally relate to that. Uh, it's just highlights also the fact that, oh, just because you're gay doesn't not, that doesn't mean that you're not human anymore. And can't have a relationship with God in some way or with humanity. Or I think in that sense, uh, I think the movie Breaking Fast does a great job at maybe uh, uh, fighting that stigma or um, idea that people have about religion. Uh, because guess what? There are, like the film states, there are many practicing Muslims who are queer who are out as queer people and they're practicing Muslims and they love Islam. And basically it's between them and God. I feel like the best way I can answer your question, it doesn't matter. That is a great answer. What's between you and God is between you and God. It is not up to anyone else to tell you otherwise because anyone else is not God, sorry. And so that's what it is. It's basically as simple as do you, and have your own connection with God. I mean, look, I I'm, I was raised Muslim. Uh, I don't practice it, but I um, I think there's a lot of beautiful things about my religion. Uh, there's a lot of beautiful things about all other religions, and I choose to pick the beautiful things. That's what I'm interested in, and what we have in common in those beautiful things. You know, like in in, in Christianity, love your neighbor as you love yourself, for instance. You know, things like that. Every, and that goes back to, um, you know, we're all human and we're all looking for the same thing. So uh, in Lebanon, so I know, like, for example, in Little America, um, in Syria, it's it's illegal. Right. And then the whole uh, to be uh, to be homosexual and to to be gay. Um, and then the whole honor killing. I thought that was um, like, I again, I would felt it yeah. in my soul but in Lebanon can you talk about what is the relationship like what is the cultural attitude about homosexuality in Lebanon and was like you talk about you know I've always been gay um did you know like at what were you denying that about yourself or were you hiding it and you I was hiding okay you were hiding it but you knew and you oh yeah okay, okay. oh I mean uh Honestly, when I was a child, child, like we're talking about six, between six and 10, I was so effeminate. There's no way you would have not been able to tell that, okay, something is, um, you know, interesting happening there. Uh, but I think uh, once I like, was like 11 or something like that, I was realized that, oh, I cannot continue being who I am <laughs> because I was getting bullied <laughs> at school. 
even my family would like criticize me and would make sure to let me know that, you know, I cannot stay that way very I didn't, I was like, it was so natural. It's just me. natural. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was like, oh, you know, but then like when they were pointing out, I was like, oh, oh, I'm doing that. Oh, is that bad? Like it was these moments of like, it was a slow sort of thing. And it was really not the most pleasant thing to be on the end of that. I can imagine. Um, but, you know, as a result, I, um, I slowly started to sort of behave less expressive, less reactive, and more sort of like neutral to sort of maybe control that. And then when I decided I wanted to move here to pursue a career as a recording artist, because that's what I wanted to be a singer, um, my family were like, oh, yeah, so you can go pursue your freakish desires between quotes. I was like, oh, interesting. So when I was like, because my, my brother caught me with pictures of men in underwear from a catalog, clothing catalog, because there was no internet back in the day. There was no porn for me. It was just the only thing that I could, you know, have access to was clothing catalogs with the men in the underwear section. Yeah, so I would walk out of the bathroom with it underneath my shirt and my brother caught me. So this is what made my family be like, oh yeah, so you want to go and pursue your freakish desires? We're like, oh yeah? So then I was like, this was my first acting gig when I was there, um, is me, I got a girlfriend, a Christian girlfriend, and then I befriended all these bad boys, street boys, and I bought myself a motorcycle, uh, like, yeah, a GSXR Suzuki, like it was a badass motorcycle. And I basically became so badass that my family, I was like, okay, now I'm, can I go to America? I was like, oh yeah, you can go. Yeah, like no one, no one will question my sexuality when I present like this. Well, basically it confirmed that, oh, it was a phase and it was behind it. Right. So it was it was my first acting it and, and I, I I like my performance was brilliant. Brilliant to the point that my family not only bought it, they were like, okay, you can go. I was like, okay, bye. See you. I mean, I didn't even look back when they said that. I'm like, great, that's exactly what I wanted, and I got what I wanted. But little did I know that my in my destiny was acting. I should have like looked at that time in my life, but I now looking back, obviously I'm like, wow, that's kind of crazy you know that I was in that position and I didn't even notice it I think you know that basically was the journey overall in the sense that I had to hide because I was very effeminate and it was not accepted and I was really bullied and it was really I lived a very isolated childhood it was not fun um and I was always an old soul so I was always very introspective and it led to me being an overthinker over time uh but just imagine like being in a position where you can't even confide in your your mom you know mm -hmm. she's my mother and I couldn't even tell her so um but when I actually put on that act and I have the girlfriend and the motorcycle it really became a part of who I am like it it actually was not anymore an act it was actually like who I am now talking to you is who I am came into your own with that performance too. I think the good part about who I am is I didn't lose my integrity, even though I spend a good chunk of my childhood, I'm basically from like ages three to like 11, really hiding, hiding. And then from 11 to 14, figuring it out, 
to the point where I actually realized, oh, I need to get a girlfriend, a motorcycle, friend, bad boys, and whatnot. Uh, but that process, because it took a while, uh, it was very, um, it became more about what me being clever and knowing what can I reveal from myself and what should I not reveal? What should I keep to myself and what should I share? And it became that. Well, guess what? Just because I was effeminate doesn't mean I didn't have other sides. And like we said, we all have masculine and feminine energies within us, right? And I have a very strong feminine energy, very strong. It's my creative beast. It's, it's really more powerful than my masculine energy. But, but here's what's really crazy is my masculine side, spent, I spent most of my childhood with my masculine side, stepping on my feminine side, and punching my thumb inside and trying to keep it all the way inside, hidden. And so that really hurt uh, a lot. And, but then what happened as a result, I was able to show my masculine side more. Um, and it was not fake, it was just what I chose to show, you know? Can you talk then about, you know, the time that you split from your ex now ex-wife and what that process was for you to come out and and like publicly now as an mm -hmm. actor, you came out in like a very public way in 2017. So we were married for five years. Uh, we both moved to New York, Manhattan. It was really crazy. It was amazing. It was wonderful, but it was also a nightmare. It was everything you can imagine, just throw it in there. And it's that, it was that. Uh, and then it got to a point where I realized, realized that my ex-wife actually had hope that I'd become straight. When I realized that, that's it, I, I understood and I learned that, that's it, I'm gay, once you're gay, you're gay, or if you're, it's not that it can't change, it can change, but for me at least, it, it was clear that that was it, you know. Um, but with her, it was not clear. With her, it was more like, she, it, the more we were married, the more she wanted that for me to be straight. And so once I learned, like understood that, that that's where she was at, I really just was thinking about her. Like it I just- a kind thing to do. No, I, I was just thinking about her and all I cared about was like, you know what? I need to divorce her because she needs to have her life. She needs, she deserves to be married to a man that will give her what she deserves. Uh, and she didn't, she didn't want to. It is very hard to be married to somebody who, for any number of reasons, like sexuality is one thing, but there could be any other yeah. number of reasons where you, the marriage is, is missing something really big. Yeah. And it's one thing to be dating and to have this sort of like, oh, we'll just get married and it'll be fine. But once you're married, I think the expectations of marriage come in yeah. and you want to be with the person that you're married in all of the ways that marriage is supposed to be. And to be denied that one thing is so hard. Yeah. So I think it's true. You were very kind, very kind. I think to it's say. the same, that, but she didn't see it that way at the time. Topic of children came up and I freaked out at the time. Now I regret it. I wish I had a child with her. I wish. The reason why I didn't want to is because I was not yet stable financially, like as an actor. So I was like worried. I'm like, if I'm gonna have a child, 
don't you want to be ready financially? And she kept saying, well, you know, a lot of people get married and have children even before they get ready. And then, uh, anyways, I disagreed with her at that time. I regretfully, I disagreed. And then when I told her I was going to divorce her, she was so furious. And she didn't forgive me for a while. She didn't want to, wanted to divorce me. And I kept telling her, you're hurting yourself. And I love you so much that I don't want you to be in a position. You deserve to be happy and to get the best in this life. Nothing less. And mm -hmm. even with that, she wouldn't accept it. And we kind of stopped talking for a little bit. And then over time, we started talking again after she got married. And she started to see, she realized that I was doing it really for her. And then now we're like, you know, we're even closer than we were before, actually. Um, and as a result, now she's married and she has two beautiful daughters. If I hadn't done that, I think we probably would have had children together, but it would have still ended in us having to separate. Or even worse. I mean, even worse is people hating each other. Oh, that would be worse. Or living in resentment together. Right. Um, it was an amazing time in my life. She kind of ruined me in a way. I even tell her that. I'm like, damn you. <laughs> I keep telling her every time I go out with a guy, I'm comparing the guy to her. And honestly, it never, ever, I've never been able to get to the place where I could say, oh, yeah. And I, 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 and I can't help it, but to refer to that time and to refer to her because I experienced it. I know what that feels like to, to be with someone where it clicks. So a part of me always feels like, well, there's no way I can't find a man that is like that. So I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, between your divorce and like, how long was that before you came out? What was the decision of coming out in 2017, what led you to do that interview and, and come out very publicly? Absolutely. I mean, I it's a really accumulation of my entire life, really. From my childhood in Lebanon, to moving to Michigan, to getting married, to pursuing an acting career, which is a public job, like I'm visible. That means my, me being in the closet or not is, is an issue, right? It's a big deal. Had I not chosen to be in, a, in a, like a career where I would be visible, I wonder how that would have shaped my life. I don't know. But I think it definitely had to do with that as well. So I would say after my divorce with my ex-wife, I moved to LA to really just focus on acting. And then during that period, it was like the visitor. Once I got the visitor, that put me on the map. And it was an Oscar-nominated film. And thank God at that point, I didn't have to address my sexuality. But when did that become a thing? Once when I booked Nurse Jackie and Nurse Jackie was released and it was like a big hit. The first openly gay Muslim character on in the history of television. And so imagine, so imagine this, like a closeted actor getting to portray the first openly gay Muslim, practicing Muslim? Oh my God. Alan Coulter, the, the director, who directed the pilot, he's an icon, but like he wanted to go in that direction of making it. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to go with it. 
So he wanted to go, would you say he wanted to go more stereotypically gay, which is like, you know, the the foppy hands and the high voice and the, right. you know, the, the preening. Right. And I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to go there. I And the writers didn't want to go there, which I appreciated. And so I found the balance for the character. Nurse Jackie playing uh, the first openly gay Muslim, practicing Muslim character, put me in, in the spotlight. And all of a sudden, like, um, the advocate wanted to interview me and then, like all these publications wanted to interview me. So I told Showtime, I was like, okay, as long as no personal questions, just about to show in the character, unfortunately. Yeah, they said, yeah, sure, yeah, no, no personal questions. Well, the, the person that interviewed me for the advocate, after the half hour of the interview, he waited until the end of the interview. Oh, one more, one more question, House, please, one more. I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Are you gay or straight? I was just like, I started shaking and I was like literally sweating. It was so fucked up to put someone else in that position. Yeah. And then I lied and I said, I'm straight. So then that started to eat, eating me up from the inside, right? Like, because I betrayed myself, but I also betrayed my integrity mm -hmm. as an artist. Like I, not that I sell myself, it's who I am. I'm like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an artist that is inspired my, the reason why I'm an artist is because of love. That's my number one inspiration. And empathy and compassion are just really heavily infused in me. I can't help it. It's just part of my makeup. So I found myself like, well, here I am a hypocrite saying to people that you should be yourselves. But then I say I'm straight and I immediately just like unhesitantly lie. And playing playing a character who's like so open, openly gay and comfortable with being openly gay that probably it felt painful for you to cover up. Well, that's the hypocrisy. It's like, oh, I'm playing this character with so much love and empathy. And like the writers were like, oh, Haas, you're such a wonderful actor. You're this straight actor with so much empathy and compassion for this gay character. Mm -hmm. And I want to tell them, but I was so afraid to tell them because I was afraid if I came out, it will affect my career because I knew yeah. that not only... I knew that men and women are attracted to me. So that means I could totally play a leading part. So I didn't want to like yeah. lose that opportunity. Didn't want to, yeah. Didn't want to shut the door on professional opportunities. It's in Hollywood at that time, it was totally fine for a straight person to play a gay person. But if you're gay, you can only play gay people. Don't forget, I'm also Arab and Muslim. That was part of the reason why I didn't want to come out. So on top of it, I'm also gay. Jesus Christ, like, it's already difficult. I'm already an Arab Muslim, so I have that against me. Then on top of it, the gay thing, it's like, Jesus, like, I need to, like, sort of figure this out. Because of The Visitor and the work that I've done, I started to be exposed to these big, huge icons and go to big parties and events and whatnot. So I did meet an, a gay icon and I'll never forget, he was so hot at that time and he was bombarded by people. I said, let me go to the buffet and get food. Well, no, I went to the buffet and he followed me to the buffet. And then he's like, oh, I'm a huge fan. I'm like, oh, I'm a huge fan of yours. So I'm like beside myself, like, oh my God, he's like, oh. sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a huge fan of mine. And little did I know that all this while he was thinking I was straight. And this is why he was a big fan. 
thinking, oh, I'm a straight actor playing gay. Oh. So beautifully. Wow. And then I'm like so honest and like in heaven with him. I was like, and I'm opening my heart to him. I was like, you know, being gay, it's been very hard. And, you know, it would be amazing to get like from you, like maybe some advice, how to, how do I do this? How do I fucking do it? Because it's, I don't know how, like, I don't know how to maneuver around this, like this path that I have to maneuver. Yeah. He's like, oh, wait, you're, you said you're gay. I'm like, yeah. And he just changed completely. Wow. And that was after we exchanged numbers, by the way. So we exchanged numbers. Everything changed. He became dry and cold with me. Oh. And then he, we said goodbye. And then I texted him. I was like, really, like begging him on my knees. Like, please, I need your guidance. Nothing. And it really just, like, mm-hmm. he gave me his back. He turned his back on me. And it was so, it was one of the most hurtful things in my life. And he sought you out. And so there's nothing about this story where it's like, oh, I could have done something different. I mean, I could have not told him that I was gay, but then that's not the truth. And so that made me feel even more isolated as I was going through my career. And that combined with everything else, like over time, I just was starting to get tired of it. Like I got to the point where I almost became suicidal. Like I was just couldn't anymore accept my self-betrayal. It became about that more than anything else. Like I didn't care anymore about other people and what they thought of me. It was more about like me and my integrity. And as an artist, like how am I going to be a light when I'm being a hypocrite, fundamentally a hypocrite? And so yeah, I didn't even know how it was affecting me as an actor, to be honest with you, until I came out. And I was like, oh my God, yes. It was really a revelation. Like I, my acting became much better than ever. My, you're seeing my best work now because that as after coming out, like when I was doing Nurse Becky, I was miserable. The visit, all of that, I was miserable. Now it is so much fun and I cannot wait to dig into the next part and to be a creator, a co-creator and to tell stories. And now I'm writing my first pilot that I, as I told you as a result. And I think, um, the journey of me like coming out in 2017 was me trying to save myself. I have to save myself. That's such a great sort of period to the end of your story, a good ending point to the end of your story about what your journey was like. Cause it's literally the first question that we tend to ask people is like, tell us about your journey. And we've gone with you in your journey from, you know, from the time you were a kid and trying to figure yep. it out and then you know moving to right. the states meeting your right. ex-wife right. now trying ex-wife. to be straight trying to be straight <laughs> and then right. trying to be in the closet being gay but in right. the closet right right and, and how complicated love is yes. right that is love yeah. love like you said love is yeah. love but love and sexual orientation and sexual desire don't always match up perfectly and that gets complicated and then the process of then really well, love is bigger than sexual orientation right exactly and that's why it's so difficult because you can love someone so deeply and not want to be sexually active with yeah. them it's fortunate when those two things happen and so hard when they don't i'm very curious because you talk so lovingly about your mom 
Can you talk about coming out to her? Yeah, it happened in stages. The first time I came out to her, well, uh, the first time I didn't really come out to her, um, I was, uh, it was right before I left Lebanon. And it was the first guy that I actually ever dated. I just wanted to bring him back to my home. Not necessarily to meet my mom, but because he's someone that I was becoming intimate with. So it felt natural. I'll never forget, like after he left, my mom looked at me, she's like, never, ever bring this man to my home again, ever. So that was never discussed before I broke up with him. It broke my heart because I broke up with him not in the best way. Like I was not very, I was not mean to him, but I was cold when I was actually very warm to him before. And so it really broke my heart too but I'm sure he didn't feel good for him either. Um, the way my mom said that, she was scary. Because my mom is a sweet woman, but she can sweat. And then fast forward, the drag queen, she stole my bag with all my contacts. It was the time where you had the phone book. I had a phone book before cell phones. Sent a letter to my aunt telling her that I was a prostitute. I was like sleeping with men. And so then my aunt told my mom, and then my mom calling me sobbing. She's like, mom, like, mom, you're gonna believe this crazy person and not me? So I told her, no, mom, it's bullshit. But she was sobbing. So that basically told me, oh, I could never tell my mom. So then when I was like 32, 33, my aunt calls me and tells me, um, please don't be upset at me, mad at me. I told my aunt, so that was after I told my aunt that I was, and she tricked me because she was trying to pull it out of me, but she educated herself and she basically snuck it in. She's like, well, I'm worried, like, I don't know. I'm worried, wondering if my son might be gay. That was her trying to see if I would. So then that's how she, she pulled it out of me. And then she told my mom and then she called me. She's like, I told your mom, it's been eight months that your mom has known that you're gay. Don't be mad at me. She outed you? Yeah, to my mom. And I was like, no, I'm happy that you told her because I would have never had the balls to tell her. There was no anger. There was no, like, how you didn't even tell me. Eight months? Well, here's the good part. You are an evolved person. Well, she read, she's reading all these books about homosexuality. So she educated my mom during this time. And she prepared her for it. She's like, call her. Your mom is expecting you to call her right now. I was like, what? So I called her. I was like, hey, mom. Hi. Uh, okay, I miss you, mom. Okay, bye. She's like, did you tell her? I'm like, no. She didn't say anything. Was like, she didn't say anything. And she's like, well, you didn't bring it up. I'm like, well, I thought she was going to bring it up. She's like, call her again. So I called her. My mom's like, listen, I know that you are born this way. I know that God made you that way. And I just want you to know that I have your back in this world and you have my back in this world, right? Oh my God. And I was like, of course, mom. And then she said, okay, so are you single or you have someone? I'm like, uh, right now I'm single. She's like, so how do you release? I'm like, mom. <laughs> uh, we just jumped from like not, like you're shoved in the closet to your mom having like this, like birds and bees conversation with you. Yeah, this is, that's my mom. And she reacted that way before because she was in the dark and then. And scared and scared because and scared, she's yes. also coming with 
a prison of her own. And there is a fear of like, this is how I don't want my son to live a life that is painful, that is hard, that is difficult, that is isolated. Right, totally. And then so I think once that was out of the way, it was just the opposite. Like she was, I'm like, mom. Now she's like your wingman. No, I'd be like, let's not go deeper into that. Let's keep it at that. And then she's like, well, I'm curious. She was like, no, she's like, look, I mean, I was in Lebanon one time and in Lebanon and then walk of shame. And my mom knew I was gay at the time. So I'm walking into the apartment. I'm like, please mom be in bed. Please do not be up. No. I'm opening right the door. Early. She's right there at the fucking entrance. I'm With like, like oh tea. Oh my God. She hugs me and she kisses me and she whispers into my ear, I knew you had to release. Oh my. <laughs> I was like, okay, mom, I'm going to go take a shower. I know. I need a shower from that statement. And then here we are. Like, then we've moved through the process of you coming out to yourself and then coming out to other people and now living your truth. And, you know, it's so interesting as an actor to think about what it means to live your truth, because in a way before now you were pretending to be someone else, pretending to be someone else. You're con you're acting in your everyday. Like you were probably fucking exhausted. You have no idea. When you're on, when you're on, you know, set, you're like, I'm tired already. So now when you get on set, you're like ready to act because you're not acting in your totally. everyday. Life. Right. Totally. You're 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 truly in your you're really in your truth. And that allows you to then bring everything you have to your creative Absolutely. process. The question, the, the last sort of question I want to ask around this, like your life story is reflecting back, what lessons or what advice would you have for young people who are either in the closet and there is another layer of complication here? Maybe it's a religious complication. Maybe it's a cultural compl complication. Maybe it's that you're in a relationship with someone where you go, oh, I thought I could make this work but I can't. So what advice would you have for someone who might be listening yeah. or someone who's listening who knows yes. someone like that to say, what would you say? Well, first, great question, because it's a very thoughtful question and very loving question, I would say. It's really simplify things. That's what I learned in life, to try to simplify things and not make them something that they're not. Not to confuse your brain with all this noise that isn't necessarily the truth. And I think it's about simplifying things to bring them back to your essence, to your truth. And it's as simple as this. You really cannot lie about who yourself to who you are. Like you cannot actually, um, you can try to be in denial all you want, but at the end of the day, it's as simple as honoring your truth. It's as simple as living your truth. Now, what does that mean? Because then you're saying all these other things because then that will come into play, like the culture, um, the decisions that you make, who you end up being with as a result, or if you're putting on an act, or if you're not really, it, it really doesn't matter. It boils down to you, how you see yourself and see the world. Your point of view of, of yourself and your point of view of the world and I think if you look at it that way and you're honest with yourself and not lying to yourself, then you're off to a good start. That you need to be aware of the truth, your truth, and not be in denial and not lie to yourself. 
And then from that place, build everything. Do not hide it under the bed or under the rug and then try to build on top of that. No, because that you'll end up losing and uh, you'll end up wasting your time. That will end up maybe robbing you from the life that you're supposed to live. And I can say that. I have so many regrets, unfortunately. I know they say you shouldn't say that, but I do. And I'm saying that because of the question that you asked me, but this is my way of also answering it is because it's like, Absolutely, if you, yeah. whoever's listening, if you don't want to look back at your life and be like, oh, I wish, then you should listen to what I'm saying because I am the, that person that keeps looking back is like, oh my God, like it took me three decades for me to finally understand that, oh no, 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 no. Like, I cannot live my life for anybody else. Like I have to live my life for me. Like I have to do things that are true to myself so I can actually see what potential I have as a human being. That is the only way you're gonna know your potential. That is the only way you're gonna live a fulfilled life is by really honoring your truth. There's no way around it. Pleasing your parents or your religion or your culture, no. It's either you come first or your religion and your culture and your family and then they come first. What do you choose? You or them, you or your society, it's about your independence. So when you claim your independence, what does that mean? It means you have to honor what makes you happy, mm -hmm. which means you have to honor your truth. That's awesome. Because what makes me happy is in alignment with my truth. And what is your truth? It's your truth is shaped somehow, yes, by your upbringing and your culture. But the, your truth, truth, though, there is an integrity and a constant in there that is. There's an essence about you can't put on anybody else. You can't you can't say it's because of my parents or it's because of my religion or it's because of my culture. Like for me, I'll give you my essence is like I'm a Haas is a very empathetic, compassionate, passionate, full of life and energy queer human being that's who i am that is who i am so guess what when i was on set pretending that i'm not me i was like oh don't talk about madonna yeah don't be too excited <laughs> don't like i'm yeah. so excited about this because that will give away that it was just simply that it was really stupid and really like sad to to think that oh this is what i was concealing those qualities about me you know like like another way to answer your question is don't disrespect yourself, period. And then that is a big statement and has a big umbrella. And I can say that everything is under that umbrella. Everything we're talking about is underneath it. Whether you're queer or ethnically marginalized, it's about self-respect and knowing your worth and making sure everybody knows it too. And making sure nobody disrespects you either. But guess what? When you disrespect yourself, you allow others to disrespect you. We teach people how to treat us, right? We teach people how to treat us, so. Absolutely, so when I came out, interesting enough, when I came out and I did the video, my mom was like, did you have to make that video? I'm like, yes, mom. Oh, she's like, I know, I know, self-respect. I'm like, yeah, mom. It's like, okay. <laughs> I'm teaching that to my mom because my mom, like we talked about before, remember how she's very selfless and she steps on herself for others. And so mm -hmm. she suffers from it at her expense. And so mm -hmm. I'm like, now, now I sit, sit her down. I was like, mom, 
you're disrespecting yourself. And then I actually sit down and have a lengthy conversation with her and she's like quiet looking at me, stunned. What is my son saying to me? It's new for her. And then I connect the two. I'm like, well, it's no different mom from me telling you that and then me doing it for myself. So like now yeah. when she saw, when I had that conversation with her, she's like, okay, no, I understand. It's fine that you did that video. I do feel something is really messed up in Hollywood. That is all these huge gay producers, huge gay people, executives, they are really, they ought to be ashamed of themselves. Why? Because it's now we see straight actors play gay, but where are the gay ones playing straight? Nowhere to be found. Shame all these gay producers for not making sure. You played one. Yeah, but I'm saying now. With Sarah Ru oh. I'm saying were now. You, were you not out when you played that, when you played with Sarah, uh, opposite Sarah Rue? Oh, I was not out yet. I was not out. You were not out yet. Okay, 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 okay. I haven't seen it. I just saw your post about like who says, I mean, yeah. essentially like who says gay actors can't transcend sexuality. And I, what you're talking about is this, right? Like yeah. that straight actors play gay all the time. And, also, and it's like, cool when they do. It. It's cool when they do. But it's not cool when a gay actor plays straight. Why? If a gay actor plays straight, oh, he's making the straight act the character tainting the, the that character somehow. Or like no one's gonna believe that. Well, I think the partly who's also guilty of that are a lot of the producers and the filmmakers, queer filmmakers and, and producers who are hesitant to cast openly gay actors to play a straight character. Um, I mean, if you see Dorfman Love, that's proof to show you, yeah, it could be pulled off beautifully. And then the sex scenes, what, you think the sex scenes between me and another guy are real in a film or No, they're also acting, <laughs> it's the same. It's like, it is no different. For me, it's really ridiculous, you know? I mean, let's, let's just put it out there that it's impossible to have any kind of sexual chemistry when your arm needs to be just so, and there's a light here, and there's a person with a boom mic over here, right? And it's cold or wet or uh, whatever, someone's taped up or whatever it is. Sexual chemistry does not exist when it's scripted like that. It's just not really, a th you don't get there. When you hear straight actors talk about their sex scenes, they're like, no, that was not sexy at all. Right, exactly, exactly. Or exactly. super anxious about it, or it was so uncomfortable. Or like an actor who has a wife and then like has to have a sex scene with an actress, right? Like, how do you then explain that? Well, it's just work, it really is. I was not really, the character was having sex with the other character, but like, but it's really not fair that the queer community in the industry, like as actors, we're not included in that in that way. It's not fair. Honestly, it really is self-respect. I mean, what you guys are doing is self-respect. Think about it. It really is. If you did not respect yourselves, both of you, you would not be doing the show. Trust you me. No, I believe that because ultimately, you have to be able to own your own, like, just like you're saying, yeah. you have to know who you are and say, I'm bringing, I'm willing to be completely open about my life, who I am, what I went through. And, and desire yourself for who you are. Desire yourself with everything that you are. Exactly. Exactly. 
one of our favorite podcasts is uh, Dak Shepard's Armchair Expert. And we've always, we try to style this podcast after that approach because he is 100% like, look, this is who I am. But every time there's a gap in his understanding, he's like, I own that and let me learn from it. Right. You just get the sense that he's, he's really being authentic, which when you are authentic, it gives people an opening. If they don't feel authentic, it gives people an opening to be authentic themselves. And I think, you know, we talked about this with our last guest too. You know, if everybody could really live their truth, what a more, what an amazing world we would be. Oh my God. If everyone was really like, this is who I am. And I love myself for who I am. My God. I mean, isn't, just hearing you saying it, like, it gives me chills because it's a wonderful thought that I guess we'll never know what it will be like, you know, but it is what it is. But that's all the more reason, all the more reason for us yeah, to be doing correct. this. Correct. So, yeah. One episode at a time, one one role at a time that you, that you take, one interview at a time that, that we give. Um, and at the end of, so our first episode was just an introduction and it was us interviewing each other and really talking about our story. And I told a story about when I was five. That was the first time I remember being other, but our, our dad listened to that podcast and he's like, Kosha, I, I didn't know. He didn't know that story. And so it's like, you know, that opened this communication channel where my dad's now telling everybody about this podcast. So like this can teach like his generation, like listen to this podcast because this is, this is an insight into our kids. Yeah. I mean, but, but like funny enough, isn't it interesting? I was just telling you guys that I'm teaching my mom certain things. Well, guess what? You're doing the same. You're doing the same. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's a term called femilect in psychology, and it means um, language variety, varietals, like within a family. So it sounds like you're very close to your mom, and I love, like, there's probably some Lebanese words, some half and half, some translation. Totally, but I do it the opposite. I do it in Arabic, for instance, like whenever I go to Lebanon, because now I think in English, which is interesting, and, and I'm more comfortable articulating my ideas in English. Grammatically, so- certain things, like you said, sound really funny if you're thinking in English, but then speaking in Arabic. I want to make a phone call. Like, so in Arabic, it's literally like you're going to actually manufacture a phone. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, every time I'm like, oh no, I'm like, I, you know, I have to like fix it again. Not like, like molding not the plastic, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. That is awesome. Oh, that's, that's the first time we've heard of that. That's awesome. I'll give you another one. Like my grandma, before she uh, passed away, may she rest in peace. Um, when I was, when I moved to Michigan, uh, my grandma was, was adorable. She was like this really overweight older lady with a head scarf. And she's always like, America good, America good. You know, like she's always walking around telling all Americans, any American, America good. And I'm like, grandma, like you don't have to advertise to the people that's their country. It's like, they don't need to be convinced about it. <laughs> but like, but the, the cutest thing about her is that she would say, in Arabic, did you park the car? So she would say, barakta la siyara. So barakta, meaning parked it. But in Arabic, you take the park and then you take the P and make it a B. And then the R, ra, bar, bar, barakta. But she made it Arabic. 
you make park Arabic or like did you did you take uh, did you take the did you put the case of water in the basement? And so instead of basement, she would say, did you take the water to the basement? But in Arabic. So it's like she made the word from English to Arabic, <laughs> which there's no Arabic word. That is, yeah. Someone's taking a word and then like like applying the, the rules of the home language. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the, the funny thing about it is there's no rules to it, right? So you can like, make it your own thing. Right. Like, and my grandma did, uh, like, I think also the thing. Yeah, and I think the same, right? Like, it's very personal, I should say, maybe. Yeah. And that's what makes it funny. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ooh, now I'm gonna put that on my pilot. Thank you, guys. I'm gonna put that on my pilot. Okay. That's brilliant. Can we get producer credits? We should get producer No, credits. we get consulting credits. Look, you might even <gasps> get more than that. Okay, so. I mean, I, I heard, I heard you guys act or something. I, ha I have acted. No, you will not hire me as an actress because I'm very bad, but I'm really good behind the scenes. So if you ever, and honestly, like. Are you really that I, bad? Yeah. I love stories. Love, like stories are, I cannot imagine my life without them. Like, well, I mean, can anyone? No one. I mean, just because we exist, stories exist, period, right? It's just about like, why? Why do I love so Because it's an opportunity to be vulnerable. It's an opportunity to show the truth. And to learn. So I'm, I'm a lifelong, I have two master's degrees. I have, I'm a lifelong student. And I do this thing where my husband calls it, I delve. You know, I, I saw Little America, for example, and I saw your episode and I was like, now I need to know every single thing about the, like Syrian laws about being gay and like what, you know, like honor, I have to know everything because once i get a hint of a story wow. like that is there's so many layers to it well the fact that well the fact that you when when something moves you and affects you then you care and you want to know more i think what happens with us as people as human beings when we're growing getting older we forget how powerful we are you know, we do. And I think it's important to remind people, especially the youth, the young folks who are struggling, that they're powerful, that they don't have to look elsewhere. It's all in there. Everything they're looking for is there already. And, you know, for me, it took me that long to get it. Well, I'm, I'm coming to California in September, oh, so. Please reach out. Definitely reach out. I'll take you to a Lebanese restaurant. Wonderful. Well, thank you. We uh, we live in Chicago, er, near Chicago. So if we hear that you're in Chicago and you don't reach out and oh, we don't sure. go out, like, for I'll sure. be mad. Hopefully be that means I'm going to get a job there soon. Let's hope. I filmed in Chicago, Gone Baby Gone for Fox. It wasn't picked up. But it was a, yeah, it was a pilot I filmed at. Too bad I didn't know you guys then. Now you come back we'll come and back. now we can show you. We get, we'll take you for dinner and- I love Chicago. I mean, Chicago's great. It's been so fantastic Such a pleasure. to talk to you, to meet you. I cannot express my gratitude for you coming on and being vulnerable and, and trusting us. Like that's the thing more than anything is that you don't know us from, from Adam and Eve, right? And so I'm so grateful that you trusted us with your story and are gonna continue to trust us to represent what we're putting out there in a way that makes you feel comfortable. Oh, well, absolutely. I just know that I support you and you always will have my support. And and I 
like from the first time that you contacted me about this, I was really impressed and moved. And so, of course, I want to help and support in every shape or form. You know, I think, you know, you, you, are, an you are a great example for a lot of people. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Such a pleasure, honey. Take care. Bye.